Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about John Wick Chapter 4. Joining me today, he just finished getting tailored for his Kevlar suit. It's Daniel Lima, our action movie correspondent. Daniel, what's going on? Yeah. What's going on, man? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think like Keanu Reeves might have like conservative estimate, like 22 lines in John Wick Chapter 4 and like probably like eight of them are yeah, I think I am. <laughs> I, I think genuinely, I think somebody actually did a tally and it's like over three hours. He says like a hundred words or yes, something like so, that. Yeah, it wasn't that off. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 funny where the, the way the way the where they took the character. And I, I mean it's it's he's he's but he's still he's still really great at what he does. I'll say that much. Uh in John Wick chapter four uh picks up very shortly after the events of John Wick chapter three. If you recall, uh Winston, the manager of the New York Continental, shoots John Wick off of the roof of that building, uh at the behest of the uh the high table uh liaison that is there. And uh, sure enough, we know that he survives at the end because, you know, as we come to see in John Wick Chapter 4, you know, 50 50 foot falls ain't nothing for John Wick. And uh, so we pick up and he'd been scooped up by uh, Lawrence Fishburne's uh, Bowery cohort at the end of that one. He is training to get back to full strength, meaning this one. He travels back to, uh, I guess, Morocco or wherever. I mean, I think I mean. It's in Morocco before he goes to actually find the elder that's at the top of the high table in the third one. I don't know if it's clear that that's where he's actually like has his setup out in the middle of the desert, but uh, John Wick goes back out there to uh, try and get revenge. Cause you know, that's what John Wick does kills the elder. And he d- is then just like bringing the wrath of the high table upon himself. Very specifically though, the high table has, uh, has deputized uh, Bill Skarsgård's Marquis Vincent de Gramont to take charge in going to kill John Wick. And John has to kind of hop around to different friends and different, uh, spots to uh, to get back to a point where he can kind of challenge his way to freedom through a duel. Daniel, this movie is two hours and 50 minutes. And the one thing I'll start off by saying is, to its credit, I don't think it really feels that way. Uh, I think, you know, this movie, it, it moves and has incredible action and set pieces and in such a way that you're just not going to be bored. But I am curious because I, 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 as I sat, I, I, we've both seen the movie twice now and I thought about it. You know, I there's certain moments of the movie that I'm like, I don't know if I'm being too picky or if there are some story beats here that I'm, that I think might be lacking as impressive as I think it is that a three hour, a nearly three hour movie doesn't really drag. And at the same time that I'm like, you're at a John Wick movie, you're getting to see him do cool shit. Don't overthink it. So I'm wondering as you have someone who has probably seen most of these movies multiple times now, like me and seen this most recent one, as you're watching them, are you like, just really happy that you're getting to see some like kick-ass action and see uh, Donnie Yen in action and see your boy Scott Adkins in action and that's all you could really ask from it or what, what or, or were you like actually kind of invested in the narrative and how do you think the movie did in like simply just continuing the story of John Wick to the extent that there is one? My, my relationship with these movies, I went into that first one. I don't. It's it's almost it's almost tough to remember how quaint that one feels compared to where the movies ended up going. Uh, That one literally does not leave the New York, New Jersey area. Right. And beyond that, just in terms of like the scale of the action design and such, it honestly, it feels like a very expensive direct-to-video film, that first movie. And since then, it's gone on to delve into this expansive underworld. It's put the character of John Wick through the ringer. He's done all these incredible things in all these incredible places. What is my attachment to the narrative? I think it's a complicated question because so much 
of the appeal of this film of these films aren't necessarily in plot and story. So much of it is tied into the style, the mood of these films and the action design, which in itself kind of serves as uh, storytelling, you know, the, the, in a way, the John Wick films do feel like a, a, almost a, um, a vignettes, like a, a series of short films attached to this grander world. I will say this. I rewatched the series in preparation for chapter four. And while I love the, the second and the third film, the third film especially, I think that they did lose a little bit of sight of the character of John. Uh, You know, they delve into this murky underworld. They expand on the action. And I think in a way, in many ways, perfect the action. It it substitutes in a way for like the sort of more traditional narrative structure that I think that, uh, you know, people are used to. But you know, I, I limit that elusive focus of John. Well, I, what I guess I was kind of getting at too is that at, at different points in two and three, I think people ask him like, "Why are you doing this?" Basically, it, it, whereas in four, he gets like he gets the totally logical question like, "Where do you see this ending?" At a certain point, a couple of different times, but in two and three, he's like, I, "I'm doing it to remember her." Basically, his whole reason for living is to remember his wife. But at the same time, like as we see him navigate this really, uh, you know, interesting world they've created, this whole entire world of assassins, just by seeing how he interacts with other people, we get a decent idea of like maybe who John was in a prior life, because he, whenever you do come across someone who like. Whether it be in this movie, Kane, the Donnie Yang character, or Koji, uh, played by Hiroki Sonata, uh, the manager of the uh, the Osaka Continental, like they, it's clear that they had like bonds with him. Like every he has these people he can go and trust, and everyone just seems to kind of like him, even if it's like the version of John that we know is just you know he is a stoic and has about as much personality as like you and I do and our pinky fingers combined. The fact is, we know that he had like some really tight bonds with certain people beca- from this prior life and whatever kind of guy he was. And there's a couple different points in this movie where it's like, one, like, first of all, and maybe it just hit me extra hard because of the untimely passing of Lance Reddick, but like, uh, Sharon gets killed in like the first 15 minutes of this movie. And like, we knew that that was someone that John had a great, a pretty good, a lot of affection for, and maybe even more so the other way around, where he just really respected John, wanted to be his dog sitter, all that. And uh, <laughs> just great guy. And he he hears he hears secondhand like oh yeah they uh, Winston's alive they 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 killed his concierge and like barely barely reaction from John then Koji is just a great friend of his and it's like so much so that he puts his entire like you know hotel and everyone that works for him at risk just to protect John and then that gets John killed that he went there to help him out and. I really start to see, it, it seems like his body count just from being associated with people is starting to pile up, not just the ones from the people he's taking out. And it's like in a three hour movie, I'm just like not even sure like it really allowed him the time to process it such that like I was like, man, like you're, you, it almost felt like in some ways he was even less human than he was in other movies. But it's like the rest of the movie is done so well. They're like, I just don't even know if that's a problem. It's just like, OK, you had this purpose to like be able to remember your wife but like i don't think you're like totally reconciling the consequences of it even if people are trying to ask you to it's, it seems like you're just like a a complete cipher of a person just so we can like watch you do kick-ass shit and like there's plenty of merit in that but i'm like wondering if like the movie if you're gonna be three hours long like maybe do, do you do you need to spend more time on that 
Do you see what um, I'm saying? I, well, I actually kind of disagree with you there. Okay. Certainly in this film, mm. I think that complaint registers more in two and three. Okay. I think with four, to its credit, I think it's the most thematically resonant of the entire franchise. Mm. I think that this is the film that really does drive home, as you said, like Keanu. You can call it maybe his range of an, as an actor, or maybe you could call it just what he brings to the character of John. Um, but yeah, he's a very un, it's a very understated performance outside of the action set pieces, and I do think that it works, um, especially in a film in a series where so many colorful characters are popping up. To have this central character you know be so controlled, and I think a big part of why that works for the character of john is because of how you know how mobile how fluid uh how how he comes to life during the action set pieces i think Mm. the incongruity of john in action versus him kind of trying to control that thing inside of him you know when he's going about his day i think does make for a sort of richness of character i actually do think uh in the moments where he learns of sharon's death where he you know learns of hiroyuki sonata's death i do think that you can see the weight of you know the consequences of his actions kind of unfolding over his face and i do think that uh, this is the film, the consequences line and like the questioning of why even go on. Those things are actually in all the other movies. The mm-hmm. consequences line has been recruit repeated throughout. Sure. Here, though, there is a degree of finality and there's a degree of weight, maybe in part due to the kind of epic scale of the storytelling where, you know, Ch- Stileski is borrowing from Leone, from David Lean, from, you know, uh, Kurosawa, all these great classical filmmaking traditions. I do think that actually with this one, the emotionality of John and like the effect that he has on the world around him, I think it's most felt with chapter four Hmm, interesting yeah i mean uh, i again it it wasn't so much like it it wasn't something that necessarily like made me feel like the movie was like took a huge misstep in any way there is like i I guess it was just at those moments where like maybe i didn't and i I didn't leave it thinking like oh keanu's performance is necessarily lacking i just kind of was like man like i i i feel like they could take a beat to let let me see this on his face though at the same time i kind of hear what you're saying and that there are certain moments where he does show emotion where it's just like, okay, uh, yeah, I'm going to kill them all. And which it might be, it might, might be a simple line or something like that, but you do kind of feel his rage in those moments. Yeah. When he says, when he says to the marquee, like the marquee says, like, there's no such thing as John out there. There's only John Wick, the killer. That's all you are. And John's like, and I'm going to kill you. And you could hear him barely controlling his rage. You can hear a tremble in his voice as he's trying to keep himself controlled. So, um, yeah, I, I actually do think that this is the one that actually drives that home. Okay. Yeah, I guess I just maybe I was exp- like trying to identify too much with him myself, trying to like project how I was feeling onto him, I suppose, in that mm. moment. I'm like, man, like, you know, like I would like just like mourn my friend for a second. Or something like that, but maybe maybe it's easy for me to say that when I don't have the particular set of skills John Wick does, and I can't take the matters into my own hands. You know, and beyond that, I do think that this is the film that like really drove home to me. I, you know, this has been a current. You know, like Chad Stileski is very influenced by Japanese and Hong Kong action cinema, but I feel like this is the one that really drove home to me that like the real influence is kind of Japanese cinema, like the. Hmm. 
I don't know. Like I, I've had conversation with friends who have said that the John Wick films kind of are inferior to the works of Wu. And I would say that I think they're doing different things. They're chartering in slightly different waters. There's a melodramatic element to Wu's action films that I don't think these films are going for. I think these are more uh, in the Seijun Suzuki sort of uh, mode of genre cinema. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be talking out my ass here. I'm not like the most schooled in Japanese cinema. There is a certain sort of stoicism maybe a certain sort of leveled control in how the japanese directors kind of handle violence and worlds of like you know martial artists and men of you know ill repute uh watching this film especially for multiple reasons i thought back to the satoichi series i thought back to you know kurosawa's epic samurai chanbara films you know uh and i'd say john suzuki's um yakuza films especially um the ones where like you know the studio kind of was like what the fuck are you doing um, or, or actually you know um melville's french crime films um there's a coldness to those films a sort of uh, maybe not a lack maybe a lack of affect is overselling it there's not the same emotional swings that a lot of Hong Kong filmmakers would go for, uh, influenced as they were by like, you know, peaking opera and shit. Like, you know, I, I think that the lack of affect in uh, Keanu Reeves' performance, I think it actually is befitting the influences going into John Wick and what this series is kind of going for. Sure. And they have like a very, very loaded supporting cast. So it's like uh, you don't necessarily need the most colorful performance out of everyone if you have him anchoring it. And, they, and I'm curious to talk about everything else there, because I think part of what I did really like about the movie from a storytelling perspective, though, was like everything else around him and just like how the movie utilizes this world to like create compelling motivations for some of these villains in, in, a, in a way that feels very different. Like, I think one of the, maybe the, one of the weaker parts of two was that Santino villain. Like I just did, I, you know, he's fine, I guess, but like, he's just not I'm that interesting. Yeah. The, and, these movies I, going back through uh, before four, I was like, yeah, these movies have a little bit of a villain problem, don't they? Yeah. And like in, in three, it's, it's the, the, the thing with the Costco's is fun, but like, he's not really a villain. He's just a hired gun. And he, and he, he it's really fun watching him interact with Wick, but he, he's not, He's just there for the challenge. He's not really there for any real different kind of motivation, I would say, other than just to be able to, he's just like happy to be there fighting John Wick, even if it means he dies. It's it's like, it's interesting, but like, I don't know. Here, it's like, if, if you're willing to just accept that like the, the high table is just this Illuminati that can just do do anything, control anyone and like threaten anyone's family at any time. If, you, if you're willing to just suspend your disbelief and get behind that, which is not a huge ask, giving a lot of the others suspending a disbelief this movie asks you to do with respect to the human body, uh, then I think it's incredibly compelling because, like I, I mentioned him earlier, but Do- Donnie Yen is in this movie. He plays uh, he plays Kane, who's uh, just an assassin in this world who it, we're led to believe has been on the outs and back in and on the outs with the high table, kind of in the same way John has, but like is paid an even bigger price than just like half a finger. He, apparently he had to give up his sight at one point just to like guarantee his daughter would be safe. And even that didn't like get him out permanently. And sometimes the high table comes, calls him back in and gives him, gives him a name, gives him someone to hunt down. They give him John's name. We were, uh, we were led to believe at some point in the past they were friends, but he's going to do what he needs to do to defend his family. And he shows up to this hotel at Osaka and we, and we learned that he was once friends with Koji too. And I just think it's fascinating to watch like, you know, Donnie Yen go through this movie and, be really effective at what that character is tasked with doing while very clearly like not wanting to be there. 
even if he does get a couple of like, you know, funny quips off here and there, he's not enjoying this task that we were watching him do for like well over two hours. And I just thought it was like a really, really interesting uh, entryway and into like having a, having a, I don't even want to call him a big bad in one of these movies because he's not bad, but he's Mm -hmm. an antagonist in a way. And it was, it was, it was very different. And I, and I found it much, much appreciated. Yeah, I think that I do have my issues with a little bit of the world building in this one, mm. um, but um, I do appreciate, especially on rewatch, how this film actually, for once, gives John proper foils. Um, he seemed like this sort of singular figure in this criminal, vast criminal underworld uh, up till now. And here we have, you know, uh, Johnny Yen playing Kane as like this sort of what if John actually took that deal with the devil in three, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you have um, Hiroyuki Sonata's daughter, uh, who is uh, Akira played by, oh man, what's her name? Rina Sawayama. I, I probably am mispronouncing that, but um, you have her uh, playing a sort of like, John at the beginning of one, you know, somebody who ultimately ends up touched by the same sort of vengeful spark that sort of set into motion the events of this film. And you even have uh, Shamir Anderson, who I am totally unfamiliar with as an actor. Uh, playing... I'll say, I'll say, I, I'll say that's one. I'll say I like him a lot more as an actor than I like that character. I don't know how you feel about that. But... In a moment, but um, okay. I actually, you know, he kind of represents like, what if John had somebody from the onset convincing him not to be a part of this, mm. you know, not to be a part of this world, um, not to give up his freedom in this way. And through these characters, through these different foils that kind of reflect different parts of John, it kind of, again, it thematically ties in with the, you know, overarching theme of this, these movies being like, this this violent life of violence that these people is uh, revenge worth it yeah is revenge worth it that this path of violence only can beget loneliness and more violence which leads to more loneliness and an inability to really fully live a life as free as you would like um it's restricting to be somebody as powerful in this world as john wick um and I, I I don't know, like I do actually appreciate these characters and what they represent. Although now here's the thing, as much as I appreciate that, I do sort of feel like in previous films, when they've built out the world, that has been one of the strongest elements of the series, like learning of these new strange things uh, that are just sort of like lore within, you know, the, not even lore, just it's like we're being dropped into this strange sort of existence and we as the audience just have to keep up. I've actually really liked that aspect of the film. The, every time we hear reference to like some new corner of this underworld, when we first hear of like the high table or the one that sits above the table or somebody pulls out a marker. or the and, Yeah. Or, or just like the idea of these families. Correct. Yeah. So like, um, you know, the first time we see the Bowery King, Every single time we've learned a new corner of this world, it's been exhilarating. And with this film, granted, yeah, I know it's the fourth in a franchise, uh, but it does sort of feel like we've explored every corner, at least every corner that John's going to be a part of. And so in a way, this 
feels a little more restricted than in the previous three films. Like, and I think that does feed into a bit of a sameness that I feel with the film overall, that sort of, I don't know, kind of dulled my enjoyment of it with the previous films. It just felt very exciting. We would, we were always being introduced to some new feature um, and it uh, you, uh, certainly in the action set pieces, which you can get to in a bit, but um, here, I don't know. I just felt like I had seen a lot of this stuff well, before. I would, I would agree with that. I guess I was more thinking in terms of like when I was complimenting it, just the, the motivations for these characters and how they kind of come together in so much as like for a second, you might have to think about what people's motivations are in that poker game or why, wait, why is Kane helping him here? Or why is this guy picking off this guy that's about to kill Wick here? But it's like they all, when you think about it, it's like, okay, Mr. Nobody's in it for the money. Kane needs to be the one that pulls that trigger at the end so he can get the credit to get out. And it's fun watching him like still be conflicted about that all the same because he likes John. And yeah, and the, and the, and the, and the you, well, you know why the Marquis doing what he's doing, but like, and, mm-hmm. and John, you know, is motivated by revenge. It just felt like, it's, it's fair. Like, if that's for, that's the that's that Leone influence, isn't it? Yeah, for, yeah. Like everyone has. Yeah, it's it's. I guess it it is pretty. Like you can kind of see the good, the bad, and the ugly in it. And I I just thought it's impressive that like look for these movies that are just thought of as like nothing more than like a bunch of set pieces, which is kind of how like hey, so maybe sometimes maybe sometimes people describe like the fast movies that way, which you and I have different soft spots in that series, but I don't think they ever really have the same storytelling ambition at any point that like within one just any one particular movie that like this one does like like while yeah maybe the action scenes are like the most important things in each like you hear that like they conceive of the set pieces before anything else in the fast and furious movies and i don't necessarily think that's the case here and i i do feel i i I can feel that in the 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 plotting even if like man a lot of these action scenes like are cannot be easy to pull off and are like incredibly meticulous also and that is where it certainly does give you something new along with like these performances you know it's just uh i guess i they're they're just there are just certain parts for me that like we're conflicted, but again, when it shoots this high and it's this long, it's like that. The, the, I mean, I've seen some people saying this, say this is the best one yet, and I, I, I don't, I wouldn't call someone crazy for that, you know, uh, for that opinion. And I think it's just the fact that like someone can say that and not have it be a controversial take when you're four movies into a franchise is really impressive. Let's, let's talk about the action a little bit, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna start by nitpicking again. Okay, I made the comment about the Kevlar suit at the beginning. And what kind of struck me, and it wasn't like I was having a negative reaction necessarily as I was watching um, the, on my first viewing, but I was like perplexed. I was like, I don't remember bullets mattering this little in these movies, you know? <laughs> and it's like everyone now has like literally a bulletproof suit, head to toe, like not even just like, you know, a bulletproof vest where someone can get shot in the chest. Like someone can get shot in the hip and it just bounces off and no one loses stride. And they at the at the end of three, they already introduced these... um. Uh, like when they're when, when there's the raid on the continental, like the, the, these soldiers that are just like you know basically like medieval knights as far as like the, the extent to which they're just covered in metal and bullets bounce off and John has to like shoot them only in the neck because that's the only place that's even partially exposed. And, I, and I'm thinking about this and it's like it's 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 almost like an adjustment I'm having to make in my head in watching these movies to like just kind of accept the fact that like all right bullets are gonna bounce off of people in like a way you're just not accustomed to because I I, I kind of in some ways respect what they're trying to do where it's like don't you kind of like sometimes maybe roll your eyes every now and then when you're watching an action movie and like every like every single bullet just kind of misses someone when they should easily be getting sprayed with bullets so this movie's like all right we're just gonna like kind of skip by that and just like let someone just like have bullets bounce off them so we can get to the hand to hand stuff. And even in like, sure, John's going to get his shots in at some point, but it was like, 
man, I, I don't know if, if, if I, cause I went back and I watched the last three and I was like, okay, there's a little bit of that in three where so like, like maybe John is wearing a jacket at some point where he can shield a couple bullets and a couple bad guys are, but like, it, it was just like, I feel like it almost took me a minute aside from like the action that takes place in the last 45 minutes. I think everything up until then in this movie, I was like a little bit like confused by, I was like, oh man, like it, it was like, I wasn't quite on its wavelength because I was so like caught off guard by how like nothing bullets were. It was, I, it was so weird. I was seeing this right after I watched Air, all these screen movies with Adam. And then we talked about scream six and it was like, do stabs even matter anymore? Cause that one guy survives at the end. Now I'm like wondering, do guns matter anymore? And is this something that you even noticed as being a bigger part of four as you were watching it? Or did, did it just kind of like, did, did it just kind of like go in one ear and out the other for you? Cause you were enjoying everything else that it was accomplishing technically. Uh, yes and no. Mm-hmm. Um, on the one hand, and that's a, uh, and by the way, that's a separate discussion from like what I hinted at earlier with respect to like John just being like literally Superman now and like being able to, <laughs> and what he can take. But like, I, I'm just wondering as far as like you know what the, the whole gun food of it all, which people like to give it credit for. So, um, it's complicated because, uh, in in terms of the actual bulletproof suits, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. Like, I'm of two minds. On the one hand, uh, this has become like a weird sort of trend in a lot of things. I forget. I remember once going over like a list of like all these different movies and TV shows where action movies and TV shows where like the protagonist now has literal plot armor. I think the first thing that jumps Mm -hmm. to mind is the Mandalorian Mm. where like literally like at a certain point, it's like these gunfights or laser fights don't even matter because he's right. literally you cannot hurt him that's that's the whole point of the it doesn't make any sense um on the other hand with john wick i do think that um it's built to this sort of while yes in the first film john is clearly like a little bit weaker you know or a little bit more vulnerable than he is in the subsequent films i think that that film establishes how how much better he is than everybody that he Wait, meets. You, you, you said, you, did you just say in the first one, you think he's weaker than in the subsequent ones? Correct. Yeah. I actually gets, disagree with that. I, I, almost no one gets a good punch in on him in the first one, in my opinion. Um, Actually, that's not true. He actually really? gets like beat up like three different times by like Daniel Bernhardt. Uh, like remember the, he gets, first off, he gets captured by the villain. Secondly, uh, remember at the club shootout, the red circle shootout that he gets thrown off a balcony. Um, Yeah. He gets, he gets kind of, his ass kicked a couple times in that film. I mean, oh, oh, yeah, I guess at the opening of. of the film, he gets his ass kicked by like the guy from Game of Thrones. The right, I guess it kind of, of so, kind, of, kind of an ambush, I guess. But yeah, I I, I do see what you're saying. But like, it, it, I felt it more here than I did in any of the other three. Well, yes. Um, now, on the other hand, the fact that it's now built to this, where like not only is he invulnerable or has a degree of invulnerability, but his opponents do too. I think does theoretically incorporate something new into the action design like you know and that's what you're looking for you're looking for how do you challenge this person i think that the last film you know the fact that it ends with the bulletproof armor guys and him having to figure out how to best them and that's where this movie starts not only are those guys back but the um but now his opponents also have like armored suits um now that being said I think this might be the weakest John Wick film in terms of action. And I think maybe by a long shot. Um, Now, I know that there are some people who dislike the amount of action in the previous films. Um, Me personally, I dislike it in it being too much or not enough too much. A lot of people think that like 
especially John Wick 3, was a little bit excessive, that it went on a little too long. While I disagree with that take, I do think that a large part of this film is telling the story through the action. And I think that it's weird to like, I don't know. I do think that it's a little weird to like complain about that in a film series that is clearly emphasizing the action to this degree. It's like complaining about a bunch of musical numbers in a musical to me. But that being said, um, I am somewhat sympathetic to some of the issues that people pointed out in the previous films. Uh, there's a lot of sequences where, you know, just people show up in front of John Wick and he just kind of does his gun foo thing and best them and then goes on to the next. They're just coming off from off screen. Uh, there's the fact that, yeah, he does get the bulletproof suit. And so that does sort of lessen the amount of danger towards him. Uh, even in the in the finale of the third one, which I think is the best of the franchise, um, you know, he's having multiple fights with people in the same space. You know, he fights the two raid guys, immediately fights Mark Dacascos in the exact same place. And, you know, there's nothing visually differentiating those two set pieces um yeah there's there's no hand-to-hand stuff in this movie that uh, tops the end of three for sure here's my issue i say hand-to-hand or sword to sword you know what i mean (laughs) yeah right, right right but here's my thing right with this film i think that it ends up and part of it is down to the fact that the previous films they had a lot of places to go, you know, in the second one, they're like, let's incorporate. Uh, this is the one commendable thing. Well, one of many commendable things about Chad Stileski is that he's an action guy first. He was a stunt man to begin with. And, you know, he's excited by the idea of incorporating new ideas into the choreography. You know, he incorporates competitive three gun into the choreography where like, you know, John is switching between, you know, shotgun, rifle and pistol. You know, he's doing like takes off of, films like uh, the villainess you know he's incorporating a horse into the action he's got attack dogs you know and every single one they're trying to do stuff that you haven't seen before and with this film i think that's not the case i think that there's so much that is just kind of you know repeated set pieces from other films or you know the set pieces within this film don't have the same level of action beats um for example in the third film you know you have yeah you have a very long set piece in morocco where john wick and um halle berry uh, and her two dogs are fighting a bunch of people it's fucking right? awesome it is fucking awesome because not only yeah of course it, it goes on for pretty long but in every single new shot they're doing something a little bit new like there are parts of the action set piece where you can point to and that's the part where that happened like there's the part that john and two mooks all three run out of bullets at the same time and they all three have to reload really quickly there's like three different ways that (laughs) that uh halle berry six her dogs to go bite off dude's nuts um there's the part where the dog jumps scales a wall 20 feet like you know there are beats within the action that are identifiable um to keep things from just feeling like the same thing over and over again right and like this the dog in this movie just like Biting people in the crotch isn't as creative as what they did in the last one. Well, beyond that, like, you know, in the first action set piece in Osaka. Yeah. At first, I'm like, that's really cool. You got the Osaka, the people at the Osaka Continental with their bows and arrows and katana versus the armored samurai guys and like the armored suit guys. But it just ends up being that. And of course, you know, the action is like, you know, it's clear. 
It's cohesive. They're pulling off some really incredible moves, but it lacks the same sort of verve. It lacks the same sort of storytelling prowess of those first three films. Moments like, you know, in the Red Circle shootout where John hits a guy in the throat, runs out of ammo, and then he has to reload before shooting the guy in the head, you know, like beats little moments like that. They don't really exist here to differentiate you know, what's going on in the action set piece from moment to moment. Even in Osaka, there are three different fights that happen within the same sort of like museum space. You know, he fights the samurai guys and then the the suited guys show up and then Donnie Yen shows up. All three in quick succession, all three using the same space. And there's not, it's not like there are moments that differentiate like minute to minute what's happening there, you know? And that... That's kind of frustrating for me, you know, like people are commending, like, for example, the Arc de Triumph sequence. And while, yes, there's a lot of really great fall work being done, you know, you have Marcos Aurora and we need to get into like the actual participants in the action in a little bit. But um, you have Marcos Aurora showing off his stuff a little bit. And, you know, all that is really nice and such, but like it amounts to like five, six, seven minutes of just people getting hit by cars and then John shooting them. And then like, that's it. That's the only way you can describe it. It's not like there's a rhythm to the thing where you say, and then he moves through this space and then he re and then he gets this new gun and then there's none of that. So like, I can only describe it as just stuff happens for a bunch of minutes and then it stops. Sorry, that was a bit long, but like, yeah, I, I, it was, it's the most, I I certainly, I certainly picked up on that as I did my rewatch where like, I, I clocked, I did really did clock that moment where he, they all like, they all had to reload at once type of thing. And, uh, or, or moments where it's like, you know, and maybe there's a little bit of that in four, but like, I think more so in the others where it's like, well, one thing is, is the movie still just do a great job of like spatial awareness and stuff like that. Like, you know, he'll, he'll punch one guy and go kill someone else but it's like you, you still know the other where, where the other guy is just based on the way the shot is framed yeah you i always should say that yeah. get him yeah no they, i i should note that like you know these are still experts in action film craft and you know yeah. they, yeah. they you're, know you're what in the, the minutiae yeah you're in the minutiae and so yeah i feel like maybe i there weren't quite as many of those little small moments i think that's i, th- I do think that's a really good observation but let me jump ahead then and, and then we can and then we'll back up and talk about some of the individual performers but like it's it, it sounds like uh maybe the maybe the maybe the the, the one in this movie didn't maybe do as much for you as it did for other people because like i thought that, that that was pretty great I will admit that that's one of the standout action set. Or is that, is that like the one thing where it did kind of stand apart in some way from what you've seen before? Correct. That was the one thing where I'm like, oh, they're doing something a little new. They're doing mm-hmm. like, you know, you know, we've been seeing drones being experimented with in action cinema for the past couple of years, um, some to great effects and some to less great effect. I'm looking at you, ambulance. Mm-hmm. Um, here, I think that you know he's taking inspiration from an entirely different medium. Like clearly, he's being influenced by top-down shooters. Uh, specifically, uh, he's being influenced by this game that came out a couple of years ago called like Hong Kong Con- Hong Kong Massacre, which has been sitting on my Steam wish list for a while because my computer cannot run it. But yeah, yeah, he's incorporating like this new cinematic you know, this new sort of language into this cinematic form. And I I found it really, really exhilarating to watch because I've just not seen it done in this way before. There are other top-down action set pieces. Um, I remember there's like, I, I think there's like a Hong Kong movie from the 90s that's like a thriller that has something very similar called Door. But like, 
you know, I appreciate that he's like, all right, well, I don't think audiences have seen something like this before. Let me bring this into the action. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do, I, I don't want to overset, like over criticize because I do think that the craft is still good. And like, there are moments like um, the fight with uh, between Donnie Yen and Hiroyuki Sonata, even though, you know, it's not like not the long. most, yeah. it's not, not very long and it's not the most stellar sword but fight but, that but, I've but ever but seen. It's, but it's emotionally charged because of what it's emotionally they, they, charged. They, they've effectively like conveyed a lot of history between those guys very efficiently. Right. And it is also, uh, you know, it's also taking influence from like clearly, you know, Japanese samurai cinema specifically, of course, um, you know, Satoichi, um, obviously, but like, uh, I mean, it is actually obviously like he the the character of Satoichi is a blind masseuse masseur who uh, travels around with a cane, a sword cane. And, you know, it's very like clearly influencing uh, the the visual design and even the character of Donnie. And honestly, there's a lot of that series in the DNA of John Wick, um, especially the perspective of like what it's like to live in this underworld. And like, you know, the, the final set piece on the stairs, there's so many great falls. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like it's hard for me not to smile when I see stuff like that. But like it's not it's lacking the creativity of the previous films. And honestly, it kind of for me does sort of detract from the uh, stuff that I really did like, which is the thematic, you know, the drama of this movie. I think this is the first time where I was more connected to the scenes where people weren't getting hit by cars and shot and shit. Interesting. I mean, I feel like some of that kind of like was a little bit of a bore for me, maybe aside from john's you know first uh first talk with koji though as i say that the next thing i want to do is ask you about bill skarsgård because like that it's such a broad performance but it's such an incredibly fun performance what did you think about the decision to have someone like him play a role like that in a john wick movie um i thought it was good mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I i i thought he was good um certainly you know made more of an impression than characters like um uh, the guy from the second one, uh, the guy from the first one. I don't even remember the actors. I don't remember the names of the characters. Um, you know, th- they, they were the first one is Vigo. The second one is Santino. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. Um, and I, as somebody who has rewatched these movies multiple times, completely forgot. Um, I remember Peter Stormare in the second one more than the main villain. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think that. I, you know, truthfully, I don't have too many thoughts on he him. I think Bill Sarsgaard was so much fun, dude. I thought he was very fun. I thought that He's, he know, was dressed impeccably. And oh he was yeah, very no, menacing. genuinely. I, we, we can get into like the, the the craft elements of the film outside of the action <laughs> a bit, but like, yeah, I, look, I liked him. He was fine, but you know me, that's not who I was excited to see in a John Wick movie, bro. Did, did you have more you want to say about Donnie Yang? Because I feel like we already talked about him, but like a little bit. But like, I mean, I so just to give you a little background, I did do more of my uh, action movie watch list homework. I watched oh. uh, I watched uh, Flashpoint. So ah, I, so beautiful. Yeah, I, I I still say out of the out of the three I watched off your the homework you gave me, Royal Warriors was the best. I would but, agree. Uh, just that, that movie just kicks ass and like Flashpoint, you know, maybe I had some of the, some of the same narrative problems I said with some of the other ones I tried to watch before. No, like, no, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I would agree with there's you. There's like three, three different gangs that are like all warring with each other. But then we're now we're all of a sudden we're with Donnie Yen. Like there's a lot going on. But like, I mean, Donnie Yen is just like kicks a lot of ass in that movie. And he like kicks a lot of ass in this movie, too. Uh, and like I already talked about like what I what I, what I already talked about, how I really particularly did enjoy how they that, that character's motivations and how conflicted he felt throughout. But was there anything else he brought? to the movie that you wanted to discuss 
Yeah, no, like I, I actually, we've talked about the thematic elements of like him being a foil to John and I appreciate that, but like also, you know, I think Donnie has become like a sort of kind of stoic character these days, especially with like his Ipmon films. But I mean, he's always had his best when he's being like a cocky little piece of shit asshole, uh, like really cocky, really sure of himself. Wasn't that kind of what um, they had him do in Rogue One also? Yeah, actually, that is true. Um, and I think that he does it. He just does that very, very well. <laughs> and uh, he does. He definitely does it here very influenced by um like i said zatoichi uh the character of zatoichi he's zatoichi is a little more humble but he can be a, he can be a little cocksure when pressed and uh you know very obsessed with eating food very silly character sometimes and uh you know that's clearly in the dna of uh kane yes no i i actually did quite like how donnie was utilized in the film Still not my favorite supporting performance. Uh, okay, so uh, who, who do you want to talk about next? Okay, well, of course, you know. You know that I was excited to see Scott. Was the, was the fat suit problematic for you? No, fuck okay. that. <laughs> uh, I, 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 like, right. I like the idea that you're going to get... You know Scott Adkins, right? You know the in my in my eyes the biggest action star working today, and you're going to say, "All right, Scott, put on the fat suit. You're gonna be a take on Sammo Hung." Uh, Sammo Hung's role in SPL uh, Killzone, which was the film that uh, Flashpoint is a prequel to. And, uh, you know, he's a visual ref- and then also clearly I feel like he's being influenced by his performance in Avengement. Like he's got the, the metal grill and everything, remember? Um, and I think that he's just he's doing this really broad, goofy performance that I, I found just really a joy to see in the, you know, the well, one- it had to have been fun for you. You've been like for years now, literally years, countless times on this podcast, you've just plugged some like Scott Atkins B movie that like, you know. Like, I'm sure, like, has a cult following, but, like, you know, maybe, like, the masses just aren't as keen on you. He's been your guy oh, yeah. for a while. You had to have just been incredibly happy for your guy to, like, have, like, a whole chunk of this movie, like, just to chew scenery and, like, do his thing. Oh, yeah. No, I was fucking pumping my fist in the theater. I was the only one. Uh, <laughs> I, I I clapped. I applauded when he showed up and when another person showed up. Uh, yeah, no, I was just over the moon. I do wish there was a little bit, a little more action out of him. Um, I wish that we got a really proper fight. I was actually, I, mean, I was surprised. Well, I mean, he basically got some of the same John Wick treatment where it was like, he was, took like a bunch of like slashes to the throat and uh, bullets to the back. But still after that, <laughs> he got an actually, to the ass. Well, that too. And after that was still able to like engage John Wick in hand-to-hand combat for an extended period yeah, of time, mean, which yeah, is it's, in- it's nice. Although like uh, this gets to, you know, the, what we were talking about with the action, like another club set action set piece with the pounding score and such. Right. You have um, it, you have you have that in the first one with the the thing in the the thing in New York, and then yeah, the red circle club. And, and then and then the second one you have where like the first fight where he sees Common where he's going to kill the uh kill the yeah, guy's sister. The sort so, of, yeah, sort of. So it, you know, this yeah, is something it, we've, we've we've seen rave. we've seen similar stuff to this th- three three times now where like there's just straight up murder going around some club goers that could not give less of a shit and they're just going to keep dancing. Yeah. So like, I don't know, like it kind of blunted the impact a little bit for me. Like, you know, he, I appreciate the, the production design doing like with the, you know, the, the water falling thing. Like I, I appreciate the attempts, but it does feel a little bit like I've seen this before and it's not like it's remarkably better. Um, But, but yes, I I did quite like seeing um, Scott. Um, Like I said, I actually was a fan of Shamir Anderson 
Zach's character, I here's the thing. His character, the one issue I have with his character is that if you take him out of the movie, nothing changes. What I will say is that like I and it, it might have been like an easy uh, moment to go for. But like, I really did enjoy like the him him not shooting the dog and like winning him over. Like, yeah, it, look, like, I, I mean, it's pretty much a save the cat moment. But, but like, I, 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 I like it. I'm sorry. It reminds me of you, know, you remember John Wick three, where like she's like he shot my dog. He's like, I get I it. Get it. <laughs> yeah. No. I, so like, I, I guess I'm. I mean, you're an animal lover. I like dogs. I guess I'm just like an, an easy mark for a moment like that. Like, I mean, the the dog like whimpering when he has a chance to kill Wick in the next scene. That might have been oh, a little yeah, on the no. nose. No, I no, no, no. I like it. Uh, I like it. I like <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, you're not going to criticize a sentient animal, I no. suppose. But like, no, I'm not. But, but like, I, I like that. But you're right. Beyond that, like, like. You, yeah, you're right. You take them out. It doesn't really add anything. I've heard some people speculating that like they, maybe they're trying to set up some kind of spin off. Oh, absolutely. Of That's what I was going to say. It's like, like, this is where I get to where this is my my little issue with the bits of world building here, like with Rena and such. Like, I just feel like it's setting up for another film. And because it's so transparent, it kind of doesn't work as well as like the previous world building where it's just like. We they are did they, are, did they already announce spinoffs for them or are people just speculating that I feel like because people are just been, speculating. Well, there's, the been a con- there's been a continental show in the works for a while now and they have the Anna Darmus movie coming. Um, but like so I didn't know if that was a thing. But like you, especially with the post credit scene with her. Uh, but with him, my thing was like, look, I, again with like a three hour movie, like I I feel like you could have like if you want him to be that prominently featured, you can have him like be a little more integral to the plot, you know? And yeah, like, no. Or, or I, learn I, a little more you. about him. Like, maybe maybe I'm being too critical because they're trying not to be too expository with it. But, like, what does it mean to be a tracker? You know, besides, like, he just magically shows up wherever John is. And what I mean, is that? He, 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 he's just good at finding people. Right. Like, But, like, that is a thing in that world, though. They refer to oh, him no, as no, a that, That's just, yeah. I mean, that, they that is more like his type like job it's not the same as like you know the concierge at a continental from my I mean, they said they, they, multiple people say oh you, are you a tracker you as know, in I, you're a guy who tracks people like you're a bounty hunter oh i thought it was like a special set of skills that had something to do with what, what he was looking at in that book the whole movie yeah well that was just his book for like he's keeping notes and tabs on like that's just his notebook for tracking down john wick I I I, th- I almost thought there was something more supernatural going on right there. No no something. no 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 there wasn't. You 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 just kind of I, I understand it. You're primed to see you know, but no no no. There's nothing supernatural about it. There's nothing special about it. He's just he's uh he's a assassin like everyone else, but he specializes in finding people who don't want to be found. Um, did you? I mean, I I don't know if. I- well, I mean, another thought I okay, had it's why it's why he carries around, which I love, by the way, the uh, he carries around like a, a lever action rifle. But like instead of being like an old school, like 1897 Winchester, it's like a it's like a synthetic, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a huge gun guy, but like I don't I, I don't know what this is, but like it's like a synthetic stock and it's got like, you know, it's got a, a pitney rail or whatever you call it on the top like i i like that it's like a tactical lever action rifle like an up he is an updated bounty hunter from a leone western i, I yeah what do you I, I did also kind of enjoy like the, the respect that he had for john at times and like the understanding that they had there's the different understandings people can come to in this world where john's just like all right i get it like like john john probably could have tried to take him out when when they found him in osaka but he's just like all right well i know you kind of want to kill me once the bounty gets high enough but like I guess you're worth keeping around to like have my back until that point, And then we'll, fi- then we'll figure this out later. Like I kind of enjoyed like that, like unspoken understanding that they kind of just kind of have. And then he like clearly is like very appreciative of like the stuff John does at the end of the movie. 
uh, uh, whether it be with this dog or how he handles the duel. So I, I kind of enjoyed that. I was just like, I guess I kind of just want to know a little more about this guy than the fact that like, I think he is a charismatic actor and he's like, you know, the character is like, uh, has a pretty cool disposition, but like, I definitely thought that like for as long as the movie was like, you could have like done a little more with him is what, what I would say. So um, I think that that's fair, mm-hmm. but I just, I also just, I did like him and I'm, I'm down for that spinoff. So mm-hmm. that's the only thing saving it from for me. Um, mm-hmm. I will say I, I like Hiroki Sonata. I I do wish that these American films would do more with him than just have him be stoic and die. But, you know, always a pleasure to see him. Rina Sawayama, she really impressed me here. Mm-hmm. Like beyond just like her ability to handle the action. She is not a martial artist. She's just some singer. Yeah, she's oh, a okay. singer. Really? I, did you Do you not know her? No, I'm not familiar. Weird. It is weird that I know a, like a modern singer. Yeah, she's pretty big. If, I, mean, I don't if know I'm, singers. It's not surprising you would know well, someone hey, that I wouldn't. I mean, hey, look, I only know about this because a friend recommended that I listen to her album, which I was, you know, not a, not a huge fan of. It's not my kind of music, but she really comports herself well. Mm-hmm. I was super impressed. She, it's like she's been doing this forever. Um I and I'm very excited if she shows up again somewhere like I'm I'm down to watch it like she is she's on fire here. And uh, I will say uh, side note that uh, Sayori Izawa, I believe her name is uh, the woman who is co-lead in um, Baby Assassins, the film that I talked to you mm-hmm. about. She she is her stunt double in this film. So, mm. you know, there's a connection there. But. The person I was the most excited to see truthfully and the person who I came away with like really thinking about Marcos Aurora. I absolutely, I cheered when I saw him on screen. I was the only one who I'm pretty sure recognized him in that movie theater. And I've just, I, I was, I, I think it's the first time I've seen him on the big screen at the very least Scott I've seen pop up in a couple places, but Marco, he plays the lead henchman for the marquee. And he is, I've told you about him. He's the Chilean martial artist. Um, I think Chilean. Uh, he is the villain of Undisputed Three. He's done a couple of like Latin American martial arts films. He actually has one coming out in a couple weeks on Haya. And to see him get like a really meaty showcase, I expected him to be just some mook who dies really quickly. But no, he gets lines. He gets to show off his stuff. He gets to show off his like really crisp punching and like his fucking superb kicking technique like and and the costume design uh, it, it kind of reminds me with his kicking ability reminds me of i believe his name was ken low in uh the end of uh drunken master 2 who fights uh uh jackie chan with that silver suit on like oh i was just so excited to see him i think he's a very imposing uh villain in this film and I, I, I just couldn't get enough of him. Uh, I, I wish that we got more movies. I, I want the prequel film for um, what's the name of his character? Chidi. I need the prequel film for Chidi. That's what I want more than anything. I, the guy, like, the guy, certainly leaves an impression. Is what I'll say. I, I didn't come away. And maybe if I known who he was, I would have been a little more like excited when he got to talk. Because it seems like based on what you knew about him, you weren't necessarily expecting that much of that. Uh, but like I, I, I do think like he, 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 he has, he, he gives a menacing presence. He really gives that off, and I think he does that effectively, if nothing else. Though I can't like say like I, I, I'm like remembering like a ton of his like any of his real action sequences are necessarily well, standing out. That, I mean, that's partially I think because they're within action set pieces, which as we talked about, mm-hmm. there's not moments within the action, right? But, right. But like there are moments where like he does get to like 
punch and it's only like 30 seconds total in the entire film but it was enough for me to just be reminded of how much i love this guy when he shows up in films i, I, I mean that's that's cool that like even someone that like that far down the call sheet like you got something out of watching him you know yeah. so i mean we talked about how like the club scene seemed a little similar to what had come before but was there was there anything else that really like you know impressed you from that perspective well you did a rewatch before the fourth one right yeah it's like I said, the, the first film is almost anomalous. It's, it feels like an anomaly within this franchise. And a big part of that goes to the aesthetic. It's it's an ugly ass movie. I feel like the first one, uh, the first one. Yeah. Outside of that red circle set piece where like it's doing the club thing and it's got well, the there, neon there aren't colors. that many real locations really in that one besides his house. And then like, you know, the the William Defoe character's house and then the the you continental know, and like but like and, no, and Vigo, and Vigo's outside. house and that's basically yeah, but there's a lot of stuff like outside also you know he gets Is into there? a shootout yeah he gets into a shootout in like a parking lot or whatever like they're using real new york locations yeah but but generally it's just an ugly look i'm not talking production design i'm talking the look of the movie there's this ugly ugly blue filter which is kind of just kind of owing to like i feel like the dtv sort of aesthetic of the film um and i say that with love because i remember that first trailer dropping and me and my friend justin who introduced me to all this action cinema he's the guy who put who told me yo you got to follow this guy scott atkins but yeah i remember the trailer drop for john wick and we were the ones going like this is going to be fucking great like it looks like a it looks like a dtv action movie and we said that as a compliment because we knew isaac florentine we knew john hyams we knew the guys that were putting out like really great stuff when like you weren't seeing this sort of well-directed action filmmaking in theaters that being said uh that aesthetic and plus like the 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 music the like new metal or whatever like like it's an ugly looking movie um and the visual upgrade from the first film to the second the second film from the first like frame it's just lush and sharp and vivid and gorgeous and the films only have gotten better looking as they've gotten bigger budgets as chat has you know incorporated these you know, new visual elements and ideas. And this film, with this film, they get like, uh, I, I, look, I'm not a huge like film dweeb like some of our friends are. Um, you know, I say that with love. I wish I was. But Dan Lauston, uh, he is a famous, uh, he's, a, he's a guy who works a lot with uh, Del Toro. So he did like Crimson Peak, Sh- Shape of Water, uh, oh, he did Proud Mary. I mean, you know, that, I, I think that movie did look okay, but yeah, no, but he is genuinely like, you know, considered like a really, really great cinematographer. And uh, he did do uh, the second and third ones, but like with this fourth one, he's really going all out with the vivid colors, the neon, the primary. Like, I think that it's it's the most gorgeous of these films. And that is absolutely saying something the fact that these movies have a sort of aesthetic that is like immediately identifiable like if i see a single frame from john wick two three or four i know i'm looking at a john wick movie um and like it 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 really does pay dividends for the film to like have such a clear aesthetic the fact that this movie looks so much better than like you know movies that cost three times its budget even now astounding astounding work it's, it's kind of crazy the budget for this movie is only 100 million 
it's just if if you made me guess, I would have been way closer to two hundred than one hundred. Right. Yeah. The, the, the amount the the amount of locations, the look of it, the 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 amount of extras, the different special effects, the different. I mean, the, and just the amount of time it must take because time is money, yeah. and the amount was, of time I was actually a stairway thing or something. I was actually listening to an interview that Chad did, and he said that like, okay, here's the thing: I spend a whole lot of money during the pre-production process like a lot of productions even big budget productions they spend as little as possible on pre-production and they spend way their budget balloons when it gets to post because it's seen as like a cheaper like you know let's do this as cheaply as possible and let's correct our mistakes in the edit room but he is like no i want everyone on set i want to bring people in like weeks early like he said that like for example the camera operators on these films where normally a camera operator is just brought in like a week before shooting or whatever because it's just the guy holding the camera he makes sure to bring them in weeks in advance uh so that they can start learning the choreography themselves so that they know where they need to be. They know what is going to be happening. What are they actually going to be shooting so they can get used to the rhythm of, you know, what their job is going to be because so much of what this film is, is relies on everyone kind of working in concert with each other. You know, he said that set, the people, the set dressers, um, the costume designers, like those people, uh, like the craftsmen, they show up really early and he spends a lot of money at the start of production so that when it comes time to shoot, there's a clear vision, there's a clear aesthetic and everyone's on the same page. Uh, And I think that that absolutely shows um like bravo to like the costuming of this film the uh the set design like so many gorgeous shots the you know that that finale with the sun rising you have those spaces like you know when uh winston and uh sharon go to see the marquee for the first time and it's these this brilliant yellow filling the room, this brilliant gold, um, you know, Osaka looks beautiful. And of course, like I said, some of this, it, it is kind of like fitting within the established aesthetic, which like, I, I do wish there was a little bit more new, but it's never looked better than here. Mm. Well, yeah, I, I will, I will, I will definitely second that. Can we talk about the ending? Um, <laughs> so I, I can't help but only bring in outside knowledge to something like that when a movie wants to stick a landing like this. And as I'm watching it in my head, I thought there had already been a John Wick 5 announced. So in the moment, the ending hit me as very Avengers Infinity War-ish. Something that, and I was one of the people that was in the camp of like, oh, this thing's not that interesting. Like I, I know all these other characters that you're telling me have died, have movies already in the can or on, uh, in production or coming soon. And I was like, I didn't buy that they were going to die for a second. So it's like, I really like the duel. Like I just never bought for a second that John Wick is dead. I'll just say that, like you know, like and maybe that maybe they'll just let this let these movies lie. But like I just like I, it was this, especially and this kind of goes back to like what we had seen earlier in the movie, where uh, we'd seen him survive all sorts of crazy shit and literally like falls from fifty feet. And I'm like, all right, he's like totally conscious and like has a gunshot there. And maybe if we want to take it as he wants to die, then like I can I, I'm here for that. But I was just like, it seems like you guys left it ambiguous. You never actually like. 
you know, showed us the body being buried directly. And like, I just think like if they have a cool idea for a movie, they're coming back. So I was not as moved by John Wick dying as I should have been. Uh, did you find that part of it affecting or are you more in my camp where it's like, all right, I thought the duel was kind of cool, but eh, I'm, I, don't, I give or take the rest. Um, hmm. Well, uh, as to whether or not this is the end for John Wick, look, the studio will want to make more of these. Um, there's actually, I see on Hollywood Reporter, there's a report from yesterday saying that now the studio is considering a John Wick 5. Meanwhile, the director and the star are saying that they're pretty sure that this is done. They were originally going to shoot John Wick's 4 and 5 back to back. And that might have been what um, I was thinking of. because I Maybe maybe I remember that press release. Pre, yeah, pre-pandemic. They were going to do both okay. movies back to back. And then when the pandemic hit, I think they had to recalibrate. And I think Chad and uh, Keanu both came to the conclusion that this should be the end for John. Okay. Um, now, of course, Keanu has previously stated, I'll do as many of these as people want. Um, he loves the character. So I'm not sure. Um, what I will say is that I'm going to choose to believe that it's it's certainly not in the same case. I was with you with Infinity War. And I don't think that we're there because it's still up in the air where this franchise goes. They're clearly trying to develop other ways to explore this, the, the world without John being a part of it. You have Ballerina coming up, uh, the movie starring Anna de Armas. We have uh, the Continental TV show. I think they are angling for a continuation of some sort with Akira and uh, Mr. Nobody. Yeah. But I, I was willing to buy it here because I think that I think it just it just felt complete here. It felt like it was appropriate. Uh, something like Infinity War, it feels like a question mark setting up for the next one. Yeah. Here, there is a, a degree of finality that is in keeping with the theme of the film being that no matter what you do, no matter how many people you you can kill, like mm -hmm. eventually you have to face the consequences of the, your actions. You have to face the consequences of the life you chose to lead. There was only really one place for John to go. Nobody believed that he could ever really truly escape. He tried and failed. So I think that it was especially considering how that duel is pulled off, how poignant it is, how charged it is. I don't know. I, 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 the moment did absolutely work for me the first time around and even more so the second. Right. Time. I'm, I, and I think that you're right that there should, like, should be consequences to his actions. As fun as it is watching him kill a bunch of people, like you can't do it going unchecked. And <laughs> while they say that like he's being released from his obligations to the high table, my understanding is that like that doesn't mean no one can ever put a bounty on him again. He's like, he's like murdered so many people that like, you know, someone, someone can be pissed off and just like, you know, call it, call in another number or something. And, you know, that's and a I was good point. And so, like, it's like, it's not like he's like giving up a shot at peace necessarily, uh, or a guaranteed shot at peace, despite the fact that by the letter of the law with the high table, he's won his, um, he's won his freedom. Like, that doesn't mean someone can't come after him at some point. And, uh, yeah, because and look, right look at, in. look at, yeah, look at Donnie Yen at the end of the film. Right. I mean, you, you did stay for the post credits, right? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Yeah. You know, Donnie wins his freedom supposedly goes to see his daughter and you know then you've got akira right there with the knife in her hand and i mean one of the th interesting things about these movies is that you know and all, all just about all of them have a sequence like the one leading up to the duel where everyone is going after john because someone's put a bounty out on him and it's like even in the first one when that number is only like 
less than five million, there are still people that are dumb enough to go and like try and take out John Wick, and uh, for for that small of amount of money. So it's like when you uh, when you do it for the amount of money that's thrown around here, which could easily be done again because there's plenty of people assume, seemingly in the uh, uh, in the Rolodex of the Continental uh, Operating Room. Uh, there's plenty <laughs> of people that can just like call something in at any point. So it's like. It, for me, it does actually kind of make sense given everything he's been through and just everything he's suffered through. If I'm to stipulate that, all right, even if I didn't really see it in him like I wanted to earlier in the movie, uh, you know, we know he that character should be suffering based on the amount of loss he's experienced. It makes sense that it's the end of the road. It's just like it was weird because I remember that I, I remember that press release about John Wick Five was coming, and so I rolled my eyes. So I'm here for it, and I will like re- retroactively respect it all that much more if like Keanu and Chad walk away. Like, I think that'd be, it'd be a cool way to go out on. I would obviously be there if they did a John Wick 5. It was just like, in the moment, I, I just didn't actually believe John was going to die. One, because I thought there was a John Wick 5 coming too, because that scene would survive so much crazy shit earlier in the movie. I was like, I think this is the one. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I will say that in terms of the crazy shit he survives, I guess this is the one where they were like, all right, that's it. <laughs> like, he, there's no way he can come back, which is, I don't know. I, I buy it. I think that if he comes back, it'll only be because the studio wants more money i was gonna say my, my one other thought on the duel I was, I was wondering you didn't really seem to actually have that many thoughts on bill skarsgård compared to most people but i was wondering what you made of him actually choosing donnie yen as his or choosing kane as his quote, quote unquote second and then making him fight for him because he did that after they it had been determined that guns were going to be uh used and what was interesting about the very first fight in the movie between kane and, and john was that like it made it clear that kane's not a great shot you know, and I thought that was actually interesting. Like you saw him missing a lot, and uh, but like obviously once once he's engaged up close with someone, he can still really hold his own. So it was like, all right, the Marquis gives an interesting speech at some point about how like, look, John doesn't have anything to lose uh, or, or nothing to live for, nothing to die for, whereas uh, whereas Kane has all of it. And it's like, sure, that sounds cool, but it's like, man, you're just kind of stupid. And part of what I really liked about Bill Skarsgård's performance was that I I, I bought at all times that like he was smart. He was bombastic, but I also bought he was scared as soon as like he finds out that like, you know, Wick is coming for him. And like I could see it all on his face. And I really appreciated that performance. But I was like, man, as smart as you are, like, why are you why are you choosing the blind man to duel for you? Come on. Um, like, well, I mean, yeah, I know that it's ridiculous, but I mean, hey, it's a it's a John Wick movie. There's a bit of surrealness to everything. But beyond that, honestly, Kane is super powered. He's he kills a lot of people with guns mm. uh, in this movie. Uh, it's a duel. Not like sure. they're not moving around and such. So like he just quick, has to quick shoot. Draw. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty much who can fire the quickest. It's not even mm-hmm. really about accuracy because if it was, you know, if he was able to take his time, of course John would be able to shoot him in the head. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about who can draw first, pretty much. And uh, beyond that, I think that the Marquis is also sort of betting on whether John is really that willing to shoot his friend uh, mm. dead. You know, when he knows that he has a daughter and you know John has nobody. So I think that all those things are factors. I, I just, I completely bought it. I didn't think for a moment, like, why would he do that? Um, I mean, also don't forget, I watched 26 Zatoichi films. So uh, he, that man is capable of anything. He uses bows and arrows. He, he, he throws rocks with unerring accuracy, like, they're pretty much it's pretty much superpower i by the way i just i I just happened to have a message pop up on our group chat from our friend arjun and he he said in his uh he said in his message to us uh re-watching john wick 2 there's a line where ian mcshane says we only have two rules no blood on continental grounds and every marker must be honored 
And then he said the second message, it said, John Wick 3 and 4, colon, introduces 74 more new rules. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny i i because that, that line uh that line does stand out from when uh john complains about tim about the marker in the in in three um or, or in two and he after denying it and then there are a lot more rules but like I, you know part of what i like about the these movies daniel and especially four is that like look as big as it got in scope it's not it didn't become one of those things where it's like it just becomes so dense in plot that you can't follow something. And a lot of like, you know, action or spy espionage movies or what have you, like they'll sometimes just like devolve into gibberish if you have to explain the plot and something. And I mean, I think maybe, uh, I think maybe two and three are maybe in some ways a little more complicated, but not really. One is obviously like, you know, it's brilliance is in its simplicity and in my opinion, in some ways, but like, I think it's cool that four really leveled up in so many ways and we can quibble with here and there at various parts of the movie or even character motivations, but like, it's not hard to follow. And I, and I actually really think that's like an underrated thing in some movies. Cause like, it's, you just, you, you don't want to like have to be worrying about following every little thing. If you're just also trying to like take in a bunch of really cool action and um, vibes and, I don't know, production design or whatever it is. Again, the look of the movie, you want to get lost in it and you want to just appreciate that. You don't want to worry about like stupid plot points that make no sense, which a lot of action movies run into that. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not, I'm not as much of a stickler for like a clean narrative yeah. in an action film because, you know, like I, I said, I do think that without getting a little too pretentious here, you know, like so when some people get annoyed when, somebody will watch like an art house film like um jean dealman for example mm. and like not respond to it in the correct way quote unquote and they'll be like well you just can't you just didn't have the right mindset going into a film like this or distracted because uh one of the characters apparently looks like your friend <laughs> or distracted because <laughs> one of the characters looks exactly <laughs> like your friend i need to emphasize this that motherfucker looks exactly like you but whatever but whatever um but like i think there is something to be said about approaching certain kinds of art with the correct mindset and with action cinema i do think that that is true of course i like it when a action film like has a really great narrative with like real thematic heft to it and manages to to incorporate action within it that is like complementary to those sorts of themes and what Mm. it's exploring. I love that. Right. But not every action movie needs to do that because some of them, for some of them, the action is kind of the point. The action is the movie. The action is the art on display and complaining about like a lack of like, I don't know, like theme or narrative heft, I I think is a little silly in some ways. Um, I don't know that you could get something like the Golden Harvest stuff, for example. Yeah, there is kind of threadbare plots and such, but the fact is that the action is like in a league of its own. I don't know that you get that same sort of inventiveness and creativity and power in filmmaking within the action if they also have to juggle like well what is the story about you know <laughs> what i mean like sometimes some sometimes you can sometimes you can't but like for example we were talking about flashpoint flashpoint is a film that like i think is okay story but it ends with one of the most brilliant sequences uh, like that i it is one of the most important fight scenes in the past 20 years and I, it is one of my all-time favorites. Like I see that scene, and I get emotional. I think that it's beautiful in the same way that I'm sure people go to a ballet when they watch how, um, you know, a dancer expresses themselves on stage through their the movement of their body. And I feel the exact same way. Like I said, 
John Wick three, that that first kind of set piece with like the, the in the knife shop where like they're throwing around these knives and there's a comic rhythm to the, to it and the filmmaking, it's like perfectly edited uh, where like every single cut is emphasizing like a, a blow that was made or has a sort of comic edge to it. And I, I tear up when I watch that scene, I genuinely tear up as if I'm watching like the end of war horse. So <laughs> I I think there is a beauty to it that is like underappreciated. I've had my criticisms of this film and you know what it does with the action, but these films are going to have a very high floor for me because of the sort of attention paid and the importance laid at the feet of the action. That being said, I still I still prefer 3. I'm not going to lie, I think 3 did that the best, and I actually do prefer the second film also. I'll put this above the first one. And honestly, us talking about it has made me bump it up by like a half star, maybe even a full star. Like I, I do really think that there is uh, a sort of like, as much as I was like, I don't think that you necessarily need like a weighty sort of narrative in an action film. I think this one does have that. I think it is the most resonant and the most clear in its intentions out of all of them. That being said, I think that this is an undercurrent that's been in the entire franchise, in all the films, this undercurrent of not being able to escape the decisions of your past, mm-hmm. the, the sort of melancholic air. Um, I think it's been in all of them. And I think that that undercurrent plus the quality of the action in two and three make for a better experience. Yeah, you know, I guess it's hard for me to like, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try and rank them. I appreciate you uh, doing that for the sake of the content, but I, I guess like I just think they all they all have their own pros and cons. Like I, I feel like on any given day I could probably I still think I'd take three over two. Um, you know, and and it was interesting and in, like listening to people talk about it, um, talk about them. Like people were pretty hard on three, at least some of the critics I follow and were saying like they liked one and two better while like being pretty high on four also. But like I think I, I you've t- I, I see what you're saying. You've talked me into like understanding what two and three have on four with respect to the action. But like, I, I just, I like the way four. If, if, even if it didn't necessarily show you a lot of like new types of things in the world necessarily, I, I, I like the way it expanded the scope with its characters and like had, had a villain that like really, really actually did do it for me in a way that like maybe not so much in uh three and four though, again, in three, like th- their quote unquote villain, like has maybe the best fight in the entire series. So, it, you know, it's th- th- things here and there. I mean, I think the, uh, the the uh, gun flamethrower tracking shot thing might might be like my favorite sequence. So even if I can understand technically why the DeCosco scene is better, so it's like and and then like one I think it's just one is so rewatchable. I mean because it's like what damn near half the length of four and like still like, <laughs> it's like an hour forty right still has like very very good action. And, and it's just like again, like I, I, I like its simplicity. I there's a lot of character moments in that one I really like as well. So I, I mean, I, I could just be all over the place talking about these. I re- and I, I, hell, I really like all those the the, the the entire sequence in two where Common is prominently featured. I just I I, 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 I find that to be a, a a ton of fun. It's, it's really cool that they've kept up this consistency. Is what I'll say. I I I I, I could I could go on and on. I could rewatch these again. It wasn't a chore at all to do it over the weekend, even if I it was just a time crunch, if nothing else. But I was happy to do it. It's it's they're really fun I, and really. I genuinely I genuinely considered running through the series again before my second watch of John Wick Four. When, when wait when when is your last rewatch before you saw Four? 
before I saw it for the first time. Oh, <laughs> like that same day. And oh, okay, before okay. I went to see it again today, I was like, maybe I could fit in a couple of them. Maybe I could have fit in one at least. Like, you know. Well, I do think it's cool that like these are pretty mainstream and you have some pretty high standards for your action and like very specific places you go to like, you know, uh, get your get your fill of it. And it's cool that mm. it's, it speaks to how effective like Stahelski and company have been that like you, 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 you hold these movies in high enough regard. You are willing to watch them that much as opposed to just being like, you know, turning your nose up at them and being like, <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm going to go watch. I'm going to go on a high on marathon. I'm too good for this. Like marathon, if only, if only, well, actually that is something I wanted to bring up the fact that I think that Chad has a better understanding of what makes this cinema important beyond just the craft of the action filmmaking. Mm-hmm. I think he has a better handle of that than like most Western directors. Um, certainly more than I can't help but compare this to uh, Kill Bill, um, mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino, which I rewatched uh, like last month and I found that I really deplored the first film. Uh, I, 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 that- I think Kill Bill, I like Kill Bill 2 better than Kill Bill 1 actually. Well, that's what a lot of people say. I need to get to the second one again to rewatch. But that first one, rewatching it today, I mean, as a kid, I thought it was cool. But now watching it, I can't help but see it as like Quentin Tarantino just kind of willy nilly taking things that he likes and sort of just taking it, taking the most surface level read of all that stuff for him. Oh, here's a good example. Um, The final fight between... um, uh, Uma Thurman and um, was it Lucy Liu in that film? Yeah, yeah, it's Lucy Liu at the end. In that final fight, like, you know, it's clearly he's doing Lady Snowblood, right? He's doing Lady Snowblood. He's not even like ashamed to admit it. And like for a moment, I'm like, okay, so there's like this sort of tension in the air between the two of them as they stare at each other. And you think that maybe there's like this sense of like this this warrior's respect or something. And then it cuts in like a pop song. And then he starts cutting really quickly between the two of them as they sword fight and shit. And I'm like, all right, well, that's somebody who looks at the aesthetic of something like Lady Snowblood and is like, oh, that's cool. I want to put that in the movie. And, Mm. you know, not to say that, you know, uh, Chad Stileski doesn't do like similar things, but I think for him, he has an understanding of like, you know, why these films are made the way they are and what they're aiming to do. Like that sword fight between Hiroyuki Sonata and uh, Donnie Yen, I think is has the emotional charge that those sorts of sword fights would have in like a traditional Chenbara film. Like, you know, the goals of these characters, there's a sadness to this fight, um, you know, in the sense that like, you know, that neither really wants this to happen, but both is compelled to do so out of love. I I really love the fact that Chad is somebody who shows a certain respect for the cultures that he's, you know, pulling this sort of influence from. Uh, that escapes somebody like Tarantino who can only, you know, appreciate in the most superficial way. Also, it's hard not to think about David Leach's last film, Bullet Train, which I thought kind of leaned, you know, look, I have a respect for Leach as well, but I think that that movie leaned into exoticism uh, in how it portrayed, you know, this culture that it was, you know, kind of immersing itself in. And I never really get that sense watching the John Wick films. I think they are taking influence. They're clear on what those influences are, but there is a respect and they use that influence to do something new. 
Speaking of directors you don't like, I just in clicking around on this, I didn't realize that uh, Shamir Anderson's younger brother is Stefan James, who's the guy that's the lead in If Beale Street Could Talk. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, well you know, uh, hey, I won't. I have nothing bad to say about that actor. I'll say that. <laughs> uh, any other final thoughts on um, John Wick Chapter Four, Daniel? I will say that this is a little note that I didn't really notice until uh, I rewatched. We didn't talk about Clancy Brown. He has only like a really minor role as a harbinger, mm-hmm. which I'm not. I'm not really sure what's the fundamental difference between a harbinger and and uh and a, what was the thing? The arbiter, the adjudicator, um, adjudicator. Um, I'm not sure what the fundamental difference between those two are, roles are, mm-hmm. but whatever. The one thing I do like is that uh, when he introduces himself, you see that he has a finger missing as mm-hmm. well, which kind of implies that he was somebody who had to make restitution to the high table at some point. And even though he comports himself in the way that yeah, like, he's, he's, he's a slave. supposed to. Yeah. But like, yeah. And like, there's a certain, even though he never once really voices support for John Wick, there is a respect there that manages to be conveyed um i'm actually not too familiar with clancy brown he's the star of highlander right uh that sounds right but i've never i feel like i heard someone say that i've actually never seen it though oh highlander is incredible i love highlander i think that's one of the best action films and fantasy films of the 1990s or 80s i should say and uh actually if i don't know if you're aware but chas Dileski is i don't know if he still is but he is attached to do a new Highlander film. Oh, I did hear that. I did hear that. Yeah. So like, you know, I'm sure that's the connection there. Oh, he, I think he played the villain in that. It's been a minute since I've seen it, but you know, recommended. And I like that little touch. All right. Well, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy you gave him a shout out too. He's, he's, he's a guy, he's a guy whose face I know. Uh, just looking at his uh, list of performances, it's like, he's been in a ton of stuff I've seen. Never necessarily like, uh, he never, but maybe never necessarily as prominently featured as he is here. So, um, you know, good for him on that. Good for, uh, I, I do think it is cool how they just like the, some of the people they go find, like, it's, it's cool that like they have respect for the Scott Atkins of the world. And it's like, Hey, come, come hang out and do your thing with us. It's, uh, just p- pulling different actors in to you know, have memorable moments. And they did a, they did a very good job of that. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 I just want to reiterate, like, I, I really like my experience and I, 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 that's why I let up by saying like, it doesn't feel three hours and that's because so much of this is done. Well, I feel like I might've dwelled a little bit too much on the negative on this podcast, but at, at the same time, like, I don't want to undersell just how great of an accomplishment I think these, these movies are and that they like found a way to like, just go this big in scope and not fall on their face and, movie four is like really impressive i think a lot of times with some certain franchises maybe they, they might they, you know maybe they just like fall off once you get to this point though the ones that maybe stick around to four it's because they're you know at very least successful but i think this one is creatively creatively successful in addition to being commercially successful i just made you know had a few creative nitpicks but on the whole just like great job uh great performances and still just a really fun world to hang out in um daniel you've already name dropped a bunch of other stuff while we're here and i'm well, about actually to i had asleep. a question yeah What's your John Wick name? You're in the John Wick underworld. I, now, I, I, obviously for you, my first thought is the Esquire. Ah. I like that you're the Esquire. You're the guy who's like, you know, showing up. You might actually even work for the high table, perhaps. Yeah, depending on where I'm based, you know, if I, if I, if I was based in Europe, you could just call me the barrister or something like that, you know? Uh, <laughs> oh, I like I, that. That, that. That could work too, but like I I, I, I do I, I do kind of like it. I mean, I, I feel like the high table probably does, you know, you know, like what I would do though, like I feel like I, I would make my money like 
being in a little bit of a less dangerous spot, I would say. And I could be like, you know, uh, I, you I mean, could like, like, you mean like one of those guys in the montage in John Wick 2, like the solemn, solemn, yeah, I don't know how you say that word, the, the wine, yeah, yeah, oh, the well, yeah. well, not necessarily. I feel like I would still be like, if, if I have to be in this world in a way that's safe, I think I would utilize the skills I in real life have. I'm an attorney mm-hmm. that defends, uh, defends companies in personal injury lawsuits and sometimes in wrongful death lawsuits. So, you know, if what if, if someone Ooh. like, you know, just straight up eats it on continental grounds and they have a uh, an ambitious family member that's trying to make a quick buck off the continental, I'd be the guy the continental brings in to defend them and be like, you're your person here, assume the risk or he was partially <laughs> at fault because of this. Like you're not you're not recovering that much money off of us. So, I mean, I would be the guy that, you know, they just that the continental calls up. I might not even ever have to go on the premises. Uh, uh, sounds so. sounds like a spinoff. Sounds yeah, like a spinoff. I smell it. Um, <laughs> so what's your, do, do you already have your own name picked up? Oh, no, I never even actually oh, really okay. considered it. Truthfully, um, I'm not going to lie. A part of me kind of wants to just work for the Bowery King, just being able to like hang out with, uh, hang out with, yeah, Larry, Larry Fishbourne, I think is enough for me. It's enough of a treat. Um, but, but, just, but I mean, like you might just want to hang out with him for the day. Like if you're going to like live with him, then that's not the best living situation. I would say like, you get it, you get a glimpse of that late in two or early in three, right. Where it's like, it's just everyone like lives on like, you know, uh, uh, basically bunk beds or hammocks in one big room, you know? Yeah. I'm down for that. Oh, you are. Okay. I'm like, Hey, why not? It's like a barracks and you learn martial arts and such. Look, I am this close to just getting a plane ticket to like Vietnam or Thailand or something and just signing up for like some training camp and just that letting that be my life from here on out. I am this close. Um, so yeah, you know what? Screw it. I'll live that lifestyle. Sure. I'll work for you, Bowery King. Why not? All right. Uh, Daniel, you've name dropped a bunch of stuff and I'm going to fall asleep soon. So if you want to do a recommendation section, uh, whether it be reading straight off the watch list you made for me or something else, uh, have at it, but uh, be uh, judicious. Okay. Well, I, you know, I, I, I have recommended enough through here. I do want to reiterate that Marco Zaror is, you know, he's got a lot of great works. Undisputed 3, greatest film of all time. He is actually the villain against Scott Atkins and their final fight is a thing of legend. I wow. absolutely love that final fight. Um, Scott is, of course, the biggest action, my favorite action star working today. Uh, you can find a lot of his stuff actually on Netflix, especially Avengement, who um, Killa, the character that he plays, does take a bit of visual inspiration from that character, uh, who was actually named Kane, remember? Hmm. Um, his character in that film is actually Kane. You know, Donnie Yen, you know, Donnie, honestly, I think his best work was in the 90s. He actually uh, was in a couple movies with Yen Wu Ping. And uh, specifically, I would call out Tiger Cage, too. In the first film, you know, he's kind of a supporting character. In the second film, he is playing an unrelated character. It's a completely (laughs) unrelated movie to the first film, other than the fact that it's called Tiger Cage, too. But it's really, really good. I think there's a Blu-ray of that series coming out soon. But yeah, Donnie's his best work kind of is in the 80s and 90s, personally. But like Flashpoint, again, really high quality final fight scene. Uh, Zatoichi, again, is like the 26 film series that lasted from like, I think the beginning of the 60s into the 70s. And then with the final film coming out like 10 years later in the 80s, that is, you know, traveling blind swordsman who is a masseuse uh, and, you know, he's very humble. Uh, 
you know, he's very low key. He doesn't think too highly of himself and doesn't inflate his, put himself above other people. Very humanistic person, but also leads this life of violence within this criminal underworld and is despondent about the role that he must play, not because of his blindness, but because of his swordsmanship. I think he considers his fighting ability and his attachment to this criminal underworld to be more of a disability than his blindness. Really great film series, some stronger than others, but it's just a breeze to go through. They're all on Criterion Channel. Uh, most of these, most of the films of these characters and these actors who uh, show up in this film can be found online some way, somehow, on some streaming service, even on YouTube for something like Hiroyuki Sonata's Ninja in the Dragon's Den. Um, again, please, guys. The one good, the one my favorite thing about this franchise, especially this film, is that it's making people really take stock of what is good action. Uh, I think that this is leading films like this, films like even Top Gun, RRR, I'm sure Mission Impossible, Seven when it comes out, they are all sort of creating a resurgence in people's appreciation for this kind of cinema. Um, the fact that like, you know, Ant-Man 3 bombed at the box office and this is doing gangbusters, cinema is back, baby. Cinema is back. Or even that Creed 3 did well, you know? So, and Creed three, yeah, yeah. I don't have anything else to really recommend at the moment. I I, I name dropped Royal Warriors earlier. That movie rules. It was one of the ones Daniel gave me as an option for my homework in advance of doing this one. I the other two I I, I watched were the Debt Collector, so I could say I watched the Scott Atkins thing before this one. And and um, did you and not Flash watch Avengement? I well, I'd, I'd already watched Avengement like two or three years ago. I think. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah so, I thought yeah, so, so. I thought so. Yeah, yeah. so uh, so like, but like, I wanted to, you know, I, I, no, no, no reason not to watch a second side, yeah, Scott Atkins movie and Deck Collector is very fun. Uh, but like, Royal Warriors was just like, uh, it, it just like, it, like, well, like I'm talking about how I, I, I prefer actually to have these streamlined narratives in these movies, and that's another one that did. It was more. It was. It was. It's. It's basically like a revenge story going a couple different way in, in a couple different directions, and I mean. And also even funny at some points too, but yeah. uh, they, they but, have that one character right who's like the comic relief who actually is relief. pretty, fu- but he's actually kind of funny. Um, but but like but, but like well actually it might be unintentionally funny, but like when the when the when the one guy's uh, wife and daughter are killed, then the next time you see him, he's like has a costume change and he has slick back hair, and it's like this is the symbolize he's gone into his dark period. And like I just like I I, I thought that was like hilarious, uh, even if it Wait, was- that's Hiroki Sonata. Oh shit, it is. Uh, yeah, I mean Hiroki Sonata. So the angle of that film series, Royal Warriors, is actually the second of like a, a nine film series. Um, the first two have Michelle Yeoh. The next couple, the next, the rest of them have Cynthia Khan. Michelle Yeoh. The the angle. It is of, your, least, wow, I did not realize. Yeah. I did oh, not yeah, put two why, and two that's together. Why, that's why I put it in your list, man. Oh shit, no, so, I, yeah, no, I no. just I just thought you did because oh, this is a fun um, movie with martial no, arts. No, 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 it's because it's Hiroki Sonata. So uh, the angle of the at least the first four films is that. Um, they're all sort of like Hong Kong police officers teaming up with foreign agents. So in the first film, it's Michelle Yeoh with Cynthia Rothrock, who plays like a DAA agent. And in the fourth mm-hmm. film, it is um, Cynthia Khan, Hong Kong, teaming up with Donnie Yen, who plays like a, ma- uh, a mainland Chinese cop. In the second one, it is Michelle Yeoh teaming up with Hiroyuki Sonata, who is a Japanese police officer who is actually mm. only in town to like reconcile with his wife. Um, mm. I think that it is a film that really works in terms of drama, comedy, and of course, action. 
I, I, I that is one of my yeah that is one of my favorite Hong Kong action movies bar none like I at five stars that one I highly recommend yeah no like I think you like because there, there, we had so many to cover when you were telling me what to watch I don't think you like spent too much time like selling any one thing so not that you were necessarily underselling it but like you just didn't spend like a disproportionate amount of time right, on it I think right. for how much you liked it so I, I was a little caught off guard by how much I liked it uh, and I yeah and, that's like, one I, of the best but, but yeah Hiroki said like if it's just a, it's just a funny chain to put this character through physically appearance physical appearance wise <laughs> when he's supposed to take a dark turn that just made me laugh but like again uh, just just an incredibly well done movie and I would that's on Criterion for anyone that wants to watch it and has my stamp of approval as well as Daniel's. Uh, also, did you know that? Did you? Did you? I mean, I'm going to assume that you didn't. Yeah. But did you know that uh, Tiger Chen is actually in John Wick Three? Uh, I don't know who Tiger Chen you is. Know? Okay, yeah, Tiger <laughs> Chen. He is the. Uh, he's one of um, Keanu Reeves' personal friends. I think he is his hmm. martial arts instructor on the set of like The Matrix and such. Hmm. And uh, you know, he was. Uh, such a big fan of Tiger. He wanted him to have his own star vehicle. He tried to produce one, uh, just produce one. But when nobody was biting to direct, he took the reins. And so Keanu Reeves, the one and only movie he's ever directed is Man of Tai Chi, starring Tiger Chen. And you can mm. see Tiger Chen in that knife store. He's one of the guys who's trying to kill John and you know ends up getting murked. It was also, I wish I could have, like, I almost took a picture of the screen because it was funny. I I, I, I laughed so much because, like, one of the guys that was, uh, like, part of Koji's staff, I guess, when they were when they had the scene in the kitchen with the fighting, just one of the guys that was just, like, working for Koji that was, like, fighting on his behalf, he, like, looked like every, like, bad guy I've ever seen in an Asian movie. It was just like, it just it was like, oh, I'm supposed to be cheering for this guy, but he, he, he just like the facial hair and the hair, it looked like it. I was like, that guy, I'm like conditioned to be like, that's the way they like style the bad guy in, in any kind of Asian cinema. And it was like, oh no, I'm actually cheering for him, but most of them didn't make it. So that was sad. Uh, so yeah, I, uh, that's about that. that that's about all I have, uh, for oh, today. Uh, to be clear, I could go on. Yeah, I know you could, but I, I, I gotta go to sleep. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess you don't have work tonight. So no, I don't. I'm gonna, okay. Honestly, I've been drinking coffee. I'm probably going to go watch some more martial arts movies. Honestly, this. Oh, I'm sorry. I did have a recommendation. One more recommendation. Okay. I'm so sorry, man. But like, I really have to say, go, it. go, 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 go. Furies, which is the sequel or kind of prequel, actually, to the 2019 film Fury, which is a Vietnamese, which was a Vietnamese action film. Revenge from that very much is kind of being inspired by John Wick. It was one of my top 10 uh, films of the year. We actually have talked about it on this podcast. Mm. But Furies is actually a prequel for the villain of that film. And uh, it stars like these three girls who like have faced like a lot of sexual abuse and exploitation on these urban streets and who are taken in by a woman played by Veronica Nyo, who is the uh, the star of Fury. Um, and she trains them to be like a kind of, you know, hit squad against like the local criminal element. It's playing in the same playground of movies by like Tony, Tony Lu Chun Ku. You know, it is very much in line with like the Hong Kong Girls with Guns films of the 80s and 90s. Very grimy, very uh, gritty sort of action. It really does treat the sort the material with a, with a certain level of of care, despite the fact that it's an action movie that I think could only come with having a woman at the helm. Veronica actually is the director of this film uh, also, and she does... A, a tremendous job. There are some really great action set pieces. I was really taken in by the characters and the story. Um, honestly, truthfully, I prefer that movie to uh, John Wick 4. 
Um, I actually, right now it's in my top 10 of the year so far. I don't know whether it stays there, but I would highly, highly recommend people check that one out. It is actually on Netflix. All right. Well, so that's, that's easy enough for everyone to catch. Daniel, anything you want to plug social media wise before we sign off? Uh, you know me, felonious funk on Letterboxd. As usual, I'm Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-I on both Twitter and Letterboxd. Podcast Twitter is at RealMoviePod. Podcast email is RealMoviePod at gmail.com. Coming up next on the podcast, uh, Elijah's probably going to join us to talk about the new Dungeons & Dragons movie. And uh, after that, I think we're going to have an episode on air with a guest who i not sure yet, but I think I know who it's going to be. Just don't want to say yet because don't want to jinx it. So uh, <laughs> uh, thanks, to, thanks to Daniel for joining and being such a consistently uh, great insight, consistently great source of insight on action movies. Thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time.